Hello and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest news, explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics include NBA free agency. Who got better? Who got worse? And what's with all the player movement? Plus, week 12 in the NFL. Which teams are in desperation mode for a victory? And in Boston, can the Pats salvage what's become a lost season? It's episode 4 of Let Me Speak, and it starts... get into the week 11 schedule looking at the playoff picture right now the two conferences right now are so different with the 14 teams currently in the playoff picture and when you look at it for for me at least the AFC is much more wide open than the NFC I think when you look at the NFC playoff picture all the teams that are in the playoffs right now if the season were to end I think those are going to be the seven teams who do make it I think those will be the seven who make it in the NFC. The AFC, it is so interchangeable right now. You got Tennessee at 6-3, and three, and they're in ninth. So it is so wide open right now in the AFC. But the big game to really kick us off is going to be Cardinals and Seahawks, and that is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And we're talking about the closest division race in the entire NFL, the NFC West. And I really think it's going to come down to these two teams, Cardinals and Seahawks. One of them is going to win the NFC West. And I think the winner of this game is going to win the NFC West. Because the Cardinals, Seahawks, and Rams, they are at 6-3. and three. But I think these are the two top teams right here who are playing tonight as we're recording who are going to win the NFC West. One of the two. And it's going to be whoever wins this game. But right now... Arizona is in such a good spot. They're catching Seattle at a great time. Seahawks have lost three of four. They've had huge deflating losses to the Bills and the Rams in consecutive weeks. And remember, the Cardinals beat them in overtime just a few short weeks ago. So the Cardinals are in a prime position right now, and they probably caught Seattle at the best time. But really, for Russell Wilson... He's got to get back to that MVP status that he was playing at in the first half. I mean, he just needs no mistakes. Okay, he's tied for third in the league with 10 interceptions. He has to get it back to the MVP form that we know. But the Cardinals, hey, they are no slouch at all. I mean, their offense is just on fire. And you'd think it'd be because of the passing game with DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray. But really, it's just about the run game. They are first in the league in yards per game, but they're also first in rushing yards per game. And Kyler Murray is in the top 10 in total rush yards. So Arizona, they're probably the best offense right now in the league. And then you've got maybe the worst defense in the league in Seattle. Because Seattle is just on a downhill slope on defense. They're last in yards allowed per game, almost 450. They're last in pass yards allowed with 353. And they're near the bottom in points allowed at almost 30. 
Okay, so this is the Cardinals' greatest time to pick up the win, pick up the upset, and maybe run away with the division. You have no idea what could happen, but that will be on Thursday night. And after this game, we will flash forward to Sunday. And I'm not going to get too in-depth about Philadelphia and Cleveland, but I think that's going to be a very important game because both need to win. Philly right now looks like the team to beat in a really bad NFC East. But right now, they are the favorites, and they have to get off this skid. And Cleveland, they're one spot out. And Cleveland needs to stay alive because, like I said, AFC, so wide open, they need to win to maintain their spot. And one of the other games I'm looking at on Sunday are Falcons and Saints. That's going to be a good NFC South matchup. And this could be the chance for Atlanta to pick up a big upset. Because remember, no Drew Brees. Brees hurt himself, so it's going to be Jameis Winston. And the Falcons are very familiar with Jameis Winston from his time in Tampa. And I ultimately do think New Orleans is in a good spot. So I don't think losing Breeze is as big. It's not going to completely take them out of the playoff picture. Because ultimately they're going to get in the playoffs. The only thing is Tampa Bay. If they keep rolling, they might leapfrog the Saints. So obviously the Saints want to keep winning. But I think even if they do struggle, they're still going to get into the playoffs. And obviously with the way the playoffs is with seven teams and division winners possibly having that advantage, they have to go after the NFC South division. That's got to be the main priority right now for the Saints. But hey, even if they drop it, I think they're still going to make the playoffs considering where most of the teams are at in the NFC. Like I think the Bears don't have a shot. I think the Vikings aren't going to make it. I think the seven teams you're looking at in the NFC will make the playoffs and the Saints are going to be included in that. So I'm going to keep my eyes out on Falcons and Saints. And I'm also going to keep my eyes out for Titans and Ravens. Both at 6-3. and three, And they're both going the wrong way. Tennessee's lost 3 of 4. Baltimore's 2-2 two and two in their last 4. But those two wins, they had to come from behind to beat the Eagles and the Colts. And then obviously they had the loss to the Steelers. And then the loss to the Patriots. But I think... The loser of this game is really going to be on the outside looking in. They're going to be behind the eight ball because you don't know what's going to happen with Cleveland. You don't know what's going to happen with Miami or Las Vegas or Indy because those teams are playing well. All right, The Raiders are playing well. The Dolphins are playing phenomenal. And the Colts just got the advantage over Tennessee last week. So I think the loser of this game is really going to be on the outside looking in. But the difference in this game, I think is Ryan Tannehill. He has to be that driving force on Tennessee. We all know about Derrick Henry and how he runs the ball, how aggressive he is, and I still think he should be an MVP candidate, but it's going to be all about Tannehill. What can he do against this Baltimore team? Because Baltimore just needs versatility. Okay, they are second in rush yards per game, but they're the second worst in pass yards per game. Ryan Tannehill needs to play better than Lamar Jackson. And they need to take advantage of the Ravens' struggles. Because the Ravens are terrible right now in terms of gameplay. On gameplay, they are not the best. Because, again, Lamar Jackson said last week 
that defenses know what's happening. And you could tell that with the Patriots. Now, whether that was the weather or not, the Ravens could not just get anything done. They couldn't make those big plays. Yes, they got more yards and more first downs, more time of possession, all that versus New England, but they didn't make the big plays, and they need that versatility. That's the big thing right now for Baltimore. So if you're asking me, I think this is Tennessee's game to lose. And I think if they play well, if Derrick Henry can get over 130 yards rushing, the Titans will win this game. And Baltimore will be behind the eight ball right now if they drop this game. But a nice little interconference matchup I'm looking at are Packers and Colts. And I think both of them are in good spots right now. I honestly think that Green Bay has locked up the NFC North. Because I don't think, like I said, the Bears, the Vikings, the Lions, they aren't going to do anything. So really right now, it's all about seeding for the Packers. I think Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, that's a, probably maybe the best one-two punch in the NFL. At least top five, I'll tell you that. But Green Bay is in a great spot. They're at the top of the NFC right now at 7-2. and two, And really, they just have to worry about the top three. Because there ain't no way that anyone in the NFC East is going to overtake Green Bay for one of those top spots as division winners. So really, they just have to worry about the NFC South and the NFC West. Because the Packers, I think, have this division locked up. And they will get a top three spot. Now, Green Bay just has to keep winning, though. Because, again, those divisions are so tight that really Green Bay is the only solidified division that has a strong enough lead where they could be the first one to clinch. So Green Bay just has to maintain the fact of they are number one and they have to keep moving forward. But hey, Indy is on a roll. They just took over Tennessee for the AFC South lead. And they could really take advantage depending on how the Tennessee and Baltimore game goes. Because if they win this game and Tennessee drops the game against Baltimore, that's going to be a nice one-game lead in the AFC South. And you don't know what's going to happen with Tennessee. But again, the veteran leadership of Phillip Rivers. And don't forget on defense as well. DeForest Buckner coming over from San Francisco. He's a big factor as well. He's got that leadership as well. So Indy right now is on a roll. And they could really pull away if Tennessee were to drop that game against Baltimore. But right now, the Packers are the most consistent team in the NFL. They're 7-2. They're top of the conference. And I think it's going to keep this way. Because again, New Orleans, they don't have Drew Brees. Cardinals, they're going to be locked in with Seattle and the Rams. So I think the Packers right now are the standouts right now. No one's talking about how good they are at number one. But right now, they could be the team to beat, considering that they could get the number one spot in the NFC playoffs. Another game I'm really going to keep my eyes on is a great one out in the AFC West, Chiefs and Raiders. It's going to be a nice little revenge game for Kansas City. They're coming off a bye week. They've had two weeks to prepare and get revenge on John Gruden and the Raiders. And I think this is going to be a blowout. I think Kansas City is coming, going to go in. And they are going to steamroll the Raiders in Las Vegas. But you got to remember, Raiders are a little bit desperate right now. They have to maintain their spot in the playoff picture. Because remember, Dolphins, they're surging at 6-3. and three. 
Ravens always a factor at six and three. Browns at six and three. Titans at six and three. Colts at six and three. So the Raiders need to win. And you never know. Desperate times could call for desperate measures. And Raiders, I think if they win, they're in. I mean, if you beat the defending Super Bowl champs twice, you deserve to get into the playoffs. And they're only going to be a game back of Kansas City in that AFC West, which means the Chiefs cannot let up at all. And we know sometimes they have a tendency to do that from time to time. So the Raiders, if they win, they're in. But they have to stay afloat. They absolutely have to. Because I don't see the Dolphins losing anytime soon. Who knows about the Browns? And then you've got the Titans and Ravens playing each other. This is the opportune time for the Raiders to pull away and solidify their playoff chances. But again... Kansas City has just got so many weapons. They've got Mahomes, Kelsey, Bell, Edwards Alaire, Hill. I mean, you name it, they got it. The Chiefs have it. And I think the bye week is extra important because they've had two weeks to think about how they're going to get back at Vegas for giving them their only loss. And I'm still I'm still on that thought. I said this in episode one. But I think Kansas City is still going to take that number one spot. I think Pittsburgh, they're going to stumble somewhere. And the Chiefs are going to be right there to overtake them. I ultimately think Kansas City will get to that number one spot. And they're still the favorites right now. I know Pittsburgh's playing well. But again, you go at the king, you best not miss. And that's what the Steelers should do. But right now it's the Chiefs. They're in the top. They're the kings. They're the champs. Right now, they're looking like the favorites in the AFC. But then, the week finishes with a very great Monday Night Football game, Rams and Bucks. And again, I spent a lot of time last week talking about the Bucks and the problems they have, but they need to win. Like I said before, no Drew Brees in New Orleans. Tampa has to win this game. Tom Brady needs to get that offense. They got... Over 40 points last week, they need to get 50 points against Rams. They need to get 50. Because there is no Drew Brees in New Orleans. There should be no way that Tampa does not overtake that division lead. They need to win this game. And everyone's talking about how great that Bucks defense is. But like I said last week, they need to be playing better against good offenses. Okay, they've played... I would say their best game defensively against what I would call a good offense is the Green Bay game, where they only allowed 10 points to Aaron Rodgers. But again, we're talking about the Rams and Jared Goff. We know that they can air it out. And they really need to shut down the Rams offense. They need to. No other question about it. Because if Tampa loses this game, again, I still think they will make the playoffs. But right now, they should be looking at, oh, there's no Drew Brees. This is our chance. This is our moment. Because I don't think Tampa can beat New Orleans. And right now, I think the only way to avoid that is to win the division. They need to win the division. And Tom Brady, he just needs to continue to kick father time in the butt. Brady needs to continue to be playing well. I mean, he's fourth in the league among quarterbacks in yards and touchdown. Okay, so Tom Brady just... He can't let Father Time catch up for this one week. He needs to beat L.A. 
But for the Rams, though, they can really solidify possibly getting into first place. Because remember, Cardinals and Seahawks are playing each other. If the Rams can take this game, they're going to move themselves into second place. Right now, they're the third team in that division. They're in third place, and they're at 6-3 and three in a virtual tie. So they need to get this game. Both teams need it. Rams need it. Bucks need it. I think the Rams, though, need it more. And I, I honestly think that L.A. is going to... I think they're going to pull the upset. I think there are usually some of these games where the Bucks and, and more essentially Tom Brady... They just have a bumpy week. And I think this is a bumpy week. I know they just beat Carolina, a good division opponent. But the Rams, they look at their situation, and they need to fire in. Rams need to go for it. And I think they are going to go for it. And they will hopefully play their best ball all season and knock off the Bucks Because they can solidify their division chances. I say if they don't win, then they're not going to win the division. They have to hope for a wild card. Because I don't think they're going to overtake whoever wins that Cardinals-Seahawks game. But hey, week 11, that's when the playoff picture starts to take shape. And we get to find out who are the real contenders in the NFL. podcast we do record on a Thursday and then gets released on a Friday and so we are going to talk about what happened last night or for some of you watching on Friday when this eventually gets released on Wednesday the NBA draft took place and honestly for me it, it was hard to to tell who were the favorites who got the good picks because Really, for, for me personally, I look at what happens in March Madness for some picks. That That's what I see. So if you, you have teams like Kentucky or Florida or anything like that, that will give you a sense of who are really the contenders in the NBA. But for me, I look at the top three picks in that draft, but I don't really see anyone else. I do agree with the top three. In the particular order, I wasn't quite sure, but the first pick went to Minnesota, and they picked Anthony Edwards from Georgia. Then the Warriors picked up James Wiseman, and then the Hornets got LaMelo Ball. And I want to dissect those three picks right there. For Minnesota, it's a big question for me, at least for, for Edwards, because Minnesota's hoping that Edwards can become that third option with Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. But would he play the two? Would he play the three? I'm not sure. Because I think D'Angelo Russell is a great point guard. He's going to be that point guard on that team. Now, I don't know where Edwards is going to fit into that. But I do think for an offensive standpoint, he's going to be great with Towns and with Russell. And I think Minnesota, with a couple moves in the offseason... They might find themselves back in the playoff hunt. Because remember, the schedule for the season just got released earlier this week. And there's going to be a play-in tournament 
So really 10 teams in the conference are going to make the playoffs. And I think Minnesota might be one of those teams who gets into the play-in depending on what they do with their roster. But I think it could be a sneaky, sneaky big three with Russell, Towns, and Edwards. Now, for pick number two, James Wiseman, I think that should have been the pick for Golden State all along. Really, they've had one problem through all their championship years. It's been sized down low. Because Draymond Green isn't your center. I know he's 6'8", but he is a power forward. He's not a center. And I think Wiseman finally gives them that size and defense at the rim. Not only that, but you got those pick and roll options with Steph Curry. Of course, we have to wait and see about Klay Thompson. But let's let's just pretend Klay Thompson is fine and it's not a serious injury. That starting five is going to be Curry, Thompson, Wiggins, Green, and Wiseman. I see Golden State with that five getting right back into the playoffs, getting back to that peak form. Now, do they get the number one seed? Probably not. I still think the Lakers are the favorites, but I think the Warriors will find themselves back in contention, and they will get themselves back to their winning ways. Because again, last year, it was was just kind of a lost year. They knew they weren't going to have Durant. They knew they weren't going to have Thompson. Obviously, you had Curry go down with the injury. But I think the Warriors are going to get back to where they were as contenders. Now, for the Hornets, though, the thing with LaMelo Ball is his fit. Okay, this is not a knock on LaMelo Ball, but they have so many guards right now that can play at a great level. They got Devontae Graham. They picked up Terry Rozier. They got Malik Monk. They have Dwayne Bacon. They have Miles Bridges. Okay, my thing is, how does LaMelo Ball fit? Because... He's a 6'7 point guard. And are you going to have him play the 2? Are you going to have him play the 3? Because I think he's great as a point guard. Now, these are just early, early criticisms for the Hornets. And it's, again, I say it, nothing on LaMelo Ball. Because I think he is a great player. You know, there were rumors of him going number 1. But I think in terms of where he is with the Hornets... He just, it's going to take a few years for him to find his fit if he stays around in Charlotte. Because like I said, they have so much talent at the guard position. Are any of those guards going to be willing to take a step back, maybe come off the bench, anything like that? Because I think LaMelo is going to have a great career. But I just don't think the fit in Charlotte is is the best option for him. I, I really don't. And I think Charlotte, they're still not there yet. They still have some work to do when it comes to getting back to postseason contention. Now, there are some picks that went down in the NBA draft that I'm really keeping my eyes on. And one of them I'm looking at is Cole Anthony. He was picked 15th by the Magic out of North Carolina. And when that pick happened last night, I started thinking, okay, what's going to happen out of Markel Fultz? Because he was playing well for the Magic when they got into that eighth spot in the playoffs in the bubble. Does he make it a competition with Fultz? Does he overtake Augustine for the backup point guard position? It's going to be a real, real interesting story once training camp starts. Now, one other pick that I think could really be a steal this draft 
is R.J. Hampton. I mean, Hampton, he was drafted late first round by Milwaukee, got traded to Denver, and I really think he could be the steal of this draft. Because remember all of the hype that he had in high school. Does he carry that hype? We don't know. But for Denver, that's a great option. Because finally, Gary Harris and Nikola Jokic finally get some help. They get some help on offense. And Hampton, he's an offensive-minded player. He could be a great six-man, or he could be the two-guard with Jamal Murray, maybe overtaking Gary Harris for that number two spot. But R.J. Hampton could be a real factor for Denver, and who knows, that could be the newest big three developed in the NBA, Jokic, Murray, and Hampton. I don't know if it's going to happen right away, but I think R.J. Hampton could be a steal. I think he has the potential to be the steal of the draft and maybe, maybe be the best player out of this draft. So I was very surprised to see Milwaukee trade him because the Bucks needed a point guard after giving up both their point guards for Drew Holiday. And you know Giannis needs some help offensively. So I was very surprised to see them trade it, but Denver is going to get a lot of help with RJ Hampton. That's going to be a real lethal lineup to look out for there in the Western Conference. But it's going to set a lot of motion for the NBA offseason because there were a ton of trades being made. Players and picks going to and from. And I think this is going to be a really active offseason. Some of these picks might not be as active as you think. And I think we're going to see a lot of teams make some moves. Because, I mean, you, you saw it the other night. Seth Curry got traded. Drew Holiday got traded, as I mentioned. Now, Bogdan Bogdanovich, he didn't get traded, but there are still all these moving pieces going on. Let's also not forget Ricky Rubio got traded. He's going back to Minnesota, but I think it's just going to be a real active offseason in the short amount of time that they have before training camp. And keep your eyes and ears open, folks, because the NBA is going to have a very active few weeks. So next up is sort of a quiet story during the offseason of the MLB. The Hall of Fame ballot just got released. We see all the returning players, all the newest members to the ballot. And remember, if you've been living under a rock and don't know, there's a pandemic going on right now. So the enshrinement ceremony was pushed back a year. And it will be next summer that this year's class will join last year's class. And last year's class was only two players, Derek Jeter and Larry Walker. But we will find out on January 26th who's going to make this year's Hall of Fame. And really looking at the ballot of new and returning members, there's no one that really stands out. Okay, really, really the, only, the only option I could see maybe making it in terms of the newbies is Torrey Hunter. That's That's really the only one that I could think of. I mean... He won the gold glove nine times in center field. He doesn't have a 300 average, but it's a nice average at 277. But his numbers just don't stand out. 2,452 hits, 353 home runs, almost 1,400 RBIs. 
that's really the only standout that I would see. But there's no one on the list where I would say, yes, absolutely, he will go into the Hall of Fame. But other, you know, you have pitchers like Barry Zito, Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, A.J. Burnett. None of them, yeah, they were great, but they're not Hall of Fame worthy, I think. Because, I mean, looking at the numbers, Barry Zito, he was like just over 500 record, over a 4.00 ERA. He had one good year. He was 23-5 in 2002. And Tim Hudson, yeah, he was good, but he wasn't great. You know, they're not Hall of Fame level guys, okay? Now, there are some names that I look at, and I want them to go in for sentimental reasons, like Shane Victorino. You know, he had a great postseason with Boston. He's a two-time World Series champion, but he's not going to. There's no one who really stands out, and there's no obvious pick. So I'm just... If, if it were me, I don't think any of the newbies get in. The big question, though, are the three returners on the Hall of Fame ballot, and that is Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens, and Barry Bonds. Now, I'll start with Kurt Schilling because I think he is a Hall of Fame-level pitcher, and I think this is the year that he's going to get in. I think this year he's going to get those 20 votes. Remember, he fell 20 votes short last year and I think this could be the year I think all Kurt Schilling has to do is not make any headlines because really it's just it's his personality that's really taken him out of the Hall of Fame running remember he had that business that went bankrupt and all of that but what he did on the field is Hall of Fame worthy okay he's a three-time World Series champion and I think Kurt Schilling is gonna find his way into the Hall of Fame, if it's not going to be this year, it's definitely, and you can mark my words on this, next year, he will definitely, and I mean it, definitely, get in. Now the other two, Bonds and Clemens, I just think the steroids, you know, they went they went to Congress for steroids. I don't think they're going to make it, because after this year, they'll only have one year of eligibility left. And remember, they were well short last year. They only had about 61%. And you need 75% to get in. And I have no clue what the voters are going to do. But I just don't think they're going to get in. I think Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, they both denied using steroids. But the fact is that they went all the way to Congress for it. The fact that they went to Congress in 2008, okay, that just took everything away. And that was the height of the steroids era. That was really the height of it. And I think voters are going to hold on to that. They're going to see Roger Clemens. They're going to look at Barry Bonds. You know, they're going to forget maybe what they did pre-steroid era. Because we don't, we don't know the full story. Okay, we don't know how, how long it's been, if they actually have ever used it, which everyone is thinking that they did. I just don't know. I, I just don't know. I think Clemens and Bonds just aren't going to make it. I think the voters are going to hold on to this steroid scandal. They're going to hold on to it. 
and they're not going to let it go. So Bonds and Clemens are probably not going to get in in every single year. Now you have some people who might differ and say, oh, maybe before they used the steroids, they were Hall of Fame worthy. We don't know how long they've been using it, though. You know, Barry Bonds is the all-time home run leader. Roger Clemens, the multiple Cy Youngs. But that's going to be nothing. Because they are looking at the steroid scandal. The steroid scandal ruined their careers. And they might never get into the Hall of Fame for the numbers that they put up. But again, we're going to find out January 26th who the newest members of the Hall of Fame will be. I'm going to tell you a story. I-95, get onto the Mass Pike, get over the Zakem Bridge, and get local. It's time for our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And this week we're going to talk about three teams. Uh, two of them will be in length. We'll talk about the Bruins, the Celtics, and the Patriots. And we're actually going to start with the Celtics, because like I mentioned, they were the teams I thought were kind of in the mid-level of free agency. And I'm going to explain why right now. Well, I love So for the Celtics, one of the things I mentioned that they need to improve on is they need veteran help off the bench. And I think they made some improvements in getting Jeff Teague. I think he's an established veteran that can help out and really give a good scoring chance off the bench. And Tristan Thompson, I'm I'm kind of he's kind of like one level up from Ennis Cantor. Like he's more of an offensive rebounder. And then he might be just a tad bit better defensively. But did they They kind of stood where they were. I mean, you, you lost Gordon Hayward, obviously. You lost Gordon Hayward, and that's going to be a big loss. So now your lineup, you're basically going to put Jalen Brown from the 2 to the 3, get Tatum from the 3 to the 4, and then it'll either be Daniel Tice or Tristan Thompson as your starting center. And then you insert Marcus Smart into the starting lineup. And... Honestly, to me, that just takes a step back in terms of the bench play because it, it's still a relatively young bench with the the guys you see on this list. I mean, still, Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, they're going into their second year. And you have uh, Robert Williams, who's only going into his third year. And then you have some players who either could take a step forward, possibly in an increased role like Carson Edwards or Taco Fall or Javante Green, and then you have a bunch of rookies. I still think this team is is too young. I think that's the problem. I think these are great players, but they still they need one more veteran, I think, off the bench. That's really what I think. And I think it's really going to have to come from the wing. If, if you can get a guy on the wing who's maybe a three or a four that could come on a veteran's minimum, I think that would make your team a little bit better. Now, do we know who that is? No idea. Not not a clue who that could be. 
who would come on a veterans minimum deal. I mean, maybe Nicholas Batum, because remember, he was waived in Charlotte, and he could get. But honestly, I don't know who else is going to take a minimum deal. Now, I think this is going to be the team the way it is. What, what you're seeing in the roster, that's who it's going to be. That's who it's going to be for the Celtics. And I honestly just think they're they're going to stay kind of even. Maybe take a tiny, and I mean it like a fraction of a step back. Because, of, But honestly, for an offseason, if you had to give it a grade, I think it's like a solid B. I think, you know, Tristan Thompson was a guy they really eyed up, possibly making a trade for him. He could be a nice little double-double guy. And I think having him is an upgrade uh, from Ennis Cantor. And then who knows, maybe Daniel Tice would be better suited off the bench. And then obviously Jeff Teague. You, you needed an established veteran and... While Jeff T, I kind of looked at this and kind of thought, huh? Like, why would you sign this guy? But then you understand it because Brad Wanamaker signed out to Golden State. So having him as a backup point guard, maybe he could go into that Marcus Smart role of being the leader of that second unit. But, you know, training camp does start in early December, and then we get into the games right away, right before Christmas. So it's going to be a short time for this chemistry to sort of gel together. But one of the teams that's playing right now in the city of Boston is the Patriots. And I did say last week that I thought they should have won against the Texans, that they should win against the Texans. And I honestly did, I was a little nervous heading into that game. Because like I said, Deshaun Watson, I think he's a better thrower than Lamar Jackson. And I just think the Texans, this was more about a Texans win than a Patriots loss because their defense came out and they played great. I, I thought the Texans defensively did a really good job of shutting down the Patriots. Hit those throws into some really tight windows. But it, it was all Deshaun Watson. I really, I think it was all Deshaun Watson. He proved why he should be considered a top 10 quarterback. And people don't believe this, but the Texans have some weapons. They have Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, and Kenny Stills. I know Kenny Stills and Randall Cobb were out for a majority of that game. But still, this Texans offense is not... But they have some good weapons at wide receiver. Now, that also could be a part to the Patriots struggling defensively, which I really think they did. But I think Deshaun Watson is legit. And I think the Texans, if they can just get a wide out, like a number one Andre Hopkins level, but possibly a number one option back to where they once were. But again, we're talking about the Patriots, and unfortunately, it's not going to get any easier as they have to face Kyler Murray. And the only saving grace is that they have played two teams with quarterbacks who are similar to Murray and that they can throw and run, and they're both very lethal. And so far, they're one of one They stopped Lamar Jackson, but they didn't stop Deshaun Watson. But Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, man, they're just, their offense is not made to be stopped by this Patriots defense. And I honestly think that the Patriots will go to 4-7 and seven after this game. After they play in New England and they play Arizona, I, I don't see them beating 
the Cardinals. The Cardinals are just too good offensively. And looking at the future, the season for the Patriots, I don't know if you can get to 8-8. Eight and eight. I could see maybe a 7-9 and nine team. And everyone's talking about Rex Burkhead and how much he's lost. But you got to remember, James White is back there. Okay, to go from Burkhead to White is not a bad. I'm thinking maybe a six and ten season. I think, I think they could beat the Chargers and they could beat the Jets. I don't know about the other four because they're going to be in Los Angeles to play the Chargers and then the Rams, and then you got to go to Miami where you recent years, and then you have to hope. I don't see. I I really don't see New England getting to a 500 record, and unfortunately, a long streak is going to be snapped of uh, over 500 record and making the playoffs for over a decade. So it's going to be a tough pill for Patriots fans to swallow. But I just think this is a lost season, and you'll have to come back next year, retool, give Cam Newton or whoever's going to be the core some more weapons on offense. And now lastly, just a brief touch upon the Bruins, they made sort of an off-season splash in that they re-signed Jake De- So now it is once again that time of the week to look at the head scratcher lol moment of the week and this is a pretty special one because it is our first nba player to achieve this award we've had two in the nfl and one in the pga but this is the very first one to go into the nba and the head scratcher lol moment of the week is going to go to dwight howard now he's Dwight Howard's a character, I'll tell you that. He's a character in terms of really just head-scratching and wondering what is the basis behind his decision. Why he's bounced around for so many years and why he's been on, I want to say it's five different teams in five consecutive seasons. Because remember, he was a standstill with Orlando. Then he went to the Lakers for a year. He was with the Rockets for two years, and then he bounced around like crazy. He went to Atlanta, Charlotte, Washington, and then back with the Lakers. And now he's on a new team with the Philadelphia Philadelphia 76ers. And the circumstances that that happened were the head scratcher. So what Dwight Howard did on Twitter is he tweeted out, that he's coming back to the Lakers, that he's going to re-sign. And then someone whispered in his ear and said, you should sign with the Sixers. And he did. And so he took back that Twitter or that tweet immediately. And everyone is kind of laughing their brains out at Dwight Howard. Really? Do you want to really make that assumption? I know the Lakers wanted to re-sign him. I know that. But to go to the Sixers, which I'll get into the Sixers in just a little bit, but Dwight, you don't want to tweet anything until it becomes official. And he's trying to make the excuse of, oh, there was miscommunication. 
That's the excuse for everything. This was all Dwight Howard. Okay? He tweeted without even signing anything. You know, this this is probably worse than the uh, Bogdanovich thing where they traded where they traded him from the Kings to the Bucks and then he said he never agreed to that. This is more funnier. This is funnier than that. Dwight tweets he's going to return and then it turns out he's not going to return. And you know what's similar to that? It's as similar as how he left the Lakers the first time. Is that he kind of gave the middle finger to Los Angeles saying, hey, it was great, thanks for giving me a ring and giving me a chance to win, but it's time for me to go elsewhere. Now, do I think Dwight Howard fits with the Sixers? Eh, Time will tell. Time will tell. Because that team is centered around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And the Sixers, again, they're a team for me that kind of went sort of in the middle. They went into the middle of they didn't get better, but they didn't. So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you ever want a point that you just want to get up, just tell the person next to you, shut up and let me speak.